Well, I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the uh, sermon uh, notes, and I would ask you to please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 as uh, we continue our study in the book of Hebrews. The study has gone a lot longer than I initially anticipated. This is actually the 35th message in our uh, study, and um, this uh, study will probably take us, we'll probably conclude it probably end of September, right about the 1st of October. But uh, I've really appreciated this personally in my own life, and I I trust you have as well. And uh, this morning, uh, we will conclude the message, uh, began last Sunday, entitled Run with Endurance. And our focal passage is the first three verses in Hebrews chapter 12. So let's uh, begin by reading these verses. Therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and of course we said that is referring back uh, to the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, that uh, walked in faith. It says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Look at the uh, introduction in your sermon notes. Uh, One of the metaphors used in the Bible to describe the Christian life is a race. Uh, The Hebrew believers had grown weary running their race in a society hostile to Christianity and were tempted to give up. Again, for the sake of our guests that have not been with us in this study, they were facing severe persecution under the Roman emperor Nero. Uh, where uh, they could easily become imprisoned, uh, tortured, and even suffer martyrdom. It was during Nero's persecutions uh, where Peter uh, was crucified upside down. Uh, Paul was beheaded. Uh, So there was great atrocities being committed uh, towards Christianity during this time. And so they had simply grown grown weary with such opposition and... They had grown weary, and uh, they were losing heart. They were tempted to give up. So the writer encourages them, run with endurance the race set before you. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, gives four keys on how to endure the rigors of the race until you cross the finish line, a winner uh, for Jesus Christ. And what I just shared about the recent Supreme Court decision, this is a very important admonition for you and I. I've, I've been trying to uh, uh, prepare the church uh, for some time that uh, in light of the direction that our society is moving in, it is inevitable, it is inescapable that uh, there's going to come greater and greater opposition and hostility towards Christianity and our moral absolutes. And it is going to become increasingly difficult as it was for these Hebrew believers to live out our Christianity. And so we need the same admonition to run with endurance. Now last Sunday we only had uh, time to cover the first two points that you see there in your notes. 
So I, I do want to briefly review those, and then we'll look at the uh, final two points. So first, if we're going to cross the finish line, a winner for Jesus, we must in re receive encouragement from past winners. That first point, we must receive encouragement from past winners. Look again at Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, this is not saying that deceased believers are sitting in heaven watching us perform like fans in a stadium cheering on their sports team. The cloud of witnesses, as I mentioned a moment ago, refers to the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11 memorialized for their faith in God. They are not onlookers. They are examples. They are not looking at us. We are to look to them and realize we can run as well as they did. It has nothing to do with comparing ourselves with them, but in how our God compares with theirs. And since we have the same God, what He did for them, He can what? Do for us. That's the point here. Look at the key there in your notes, the first key. The testimony of all the witnesses in chapter 11 is cheering us on. Don't give up. It can be done. If God could do it for me, a person with a flawed faith and a flawed life, He can do it for you. And we, we noticed that of the last couple of weeks. Every single individual mentioned in Hebrews 11 had a flawed faith, had a flawed life. Yet God, in His infinite mercy and grace, used them and overcame those uh, disabilities and deficiencies in their lives, enabling them uh, to finish the race well and cross that finish line a winner. So the same power, what they're saying to us is, the same power and faith that got me through can get you across the finish line too. And then the second point, the second point, and again, we're just reviewing, and if you missed last week's message, you can go to the church website, edgewoodbaptistchurch.us, and listen to the message and uh, the fuller explanation on these first two points. But we're to remove all encumbrances that slow you down. Again, look at that uh, second phrase in Hebrews 12.1. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, before we, re we review this second point, it's important, I believe, to remind ourselves what we learned last Sunday from the scripture about what it means to run the race and cross the finish line a winner for Jesus. We, we need to understand what does it mean to win? What does it mean to, to run to win? And we looked at three passages. In, in first, and we won't turn to these again, but we're just reviewing. In 1 Corinthians 9, we discovered that winning the race is running with the aim to win people to Jesus. Remember, it was there in 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul talks about running the race. And he says, I don't run as a person without aim or purpose. And if you look at the context, the aim that the purpose is to bring other people to the saving knowledge of Christ. So winning the race is running your life, living your life with the goal, with the ambition, with the purpose of influencing people to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. In Philippians 3, we saw that winning the race is running to become closer to Jesus, 
to become more like Jesus. Remember, it was that marvelous passage where Paul says, I've counted all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order to gain Christ. And then he talks about his great longing passion to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, to be made conformable to his death, to know the power of the resurrection. And then in this analogy or the metaphor of a he says, not that I've obtained, I haven't, but I forget what lies behind and I'm looking forward, my eyes fixed on Jesus, my eyes fixed on that goal to be able to apprehend, apprehend him as he's apprehended me. So to win the race means to become closer and closer to Jesus, to become more like Jesus, to acquire holiness. And then in 2 Timothy 4, we saw that winning the race is maintaining faith in God all the way to the finish line. Paul wrote 2 Timothy right before he was beheaded for his faith in Jesus. And he was able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race, the course God laid out for me. And now there's awaiting for me a crown of righteousness. And not only for me, but for all those that uh, uh, love the appearing of Jesus. So it's very important to understand that's what winning is, winning the race. It's getting closer to Jesus, becoming more like him. It's in order that you might what, draw others to him and then maintaining your faith to Jesus all the way through to the end. So when we are commanded to lay aside every encumbrance, what does that mean? Simply put, as we saw last Sunday, like a runner who desires to win the race, you are to lay aside all excess weight. Anything that would slow you down. Anything that would hinder you from accomplishing God's purposes and crossing the finish line a winner. Anything that would hinder you from becoming more like Him, bringing others to Jesus, and maintaining your faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So things which are perfectly innocent, can become encumbrances if they divert your attention from Jesus and dampen your enthusiasm for the things of God. A serious Christian, just like a serious athlete, does not choose between the bad and the good, but between the better and the best says we must also lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. Sin is simply any action, any attitude that is in violation of the Bible or contrary to God's holy character. Sin entangles the believer's feet so that we stumble and fall and we can't advance in the race. Therefore, if you're going to get serious about winning the Christian race, you must lay aside not only the sin that trips you up, but also every encumbrance, every weight that would slow you up. Now look at the next key there in your notes. When considering involvement in an activity or relationship, the question for a believer to ask is not, what's wrong with it, but will it help me win the race? That's the question we need to be asking in every decision in life. Will this help me win the race? And I closed out last week, we ended last week, by me sharing five questions that I guarantee if you will ask these questions and then follow through, they'll change and transform your life. 
And these five questions are something that has been a wonderful tool in my life for many, 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 many years. And I, I offer this to you. So let's just walk through these five questions one more time. And again, this is the five questions every believer should be asking in relationship to any acti- involvement in any activity, any relationship. Number one, can I become involved in this activity or relationship free from doubt? Fully assured that I have God's approval. Fully assured I have God's approval. When in doubt, don't. Or risk disqualification from the race. And I'm not talking about losing salvation. But losing the opportunity to finish the race as God intended to receive the reward that God has for you. The wonderful example of this, or tragic example of this in the book of Hebrews, is the children of Israel who were redeemed from slavery out of Egypt. Remember we saw that passage in 1 Corinthians 9 and 10 where it talks about, uses that little word all, I think five times. It talks about them all being delivered, all being redeemed, all being baptized under Moses, all eating the same spiritual rock. But then you have that tragic phrase, but with most of them God was not well pleased. They all started the race, but because they got involved in doubtful things, sinful things, they lost their focus on Jesus. They plunged into sin. They plunged into unbelief, and they never crossed the finish line as God intended. They ended their life, what? In regret, with their bodies being laid low, as the Bible says, in the wilderness. The second question. Will becoming involved in this activity or relationship be profitable to draw me closer to the finish line? Or will it be a roadblock in P10.23 says, all things are lawful. All things may be permissible, but not all things are profitable. And I shared with you last week that word profitable in the Greek text. It gives the picture of a person on a journey, and and he's trying to get to a desired destination. And something is profitable if it aids him, if it hastens him to get to that destination. And so Paul is saying, okay, there are a lot of things that are lawful. They're okay, but they're not necessarily going to hasten me to achieve the goals I have in my life of becoming more like Jesus, of bringing others to Christ, of maintaining faith. So I need to ask, is this going to be profitable to draw me closer to the finish line? Look at the third question. Will becoming involved in this activity or relationship so occupy my heart and time that I lose my ambition to win the race for Christ? 1 Corinthians 6.12 tells us, All things are lawful to me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The moment anything that may be innocent and okay gets a stranglehold on your life to the point where you're diverted from Christ and it's eating up your focus, your energy, and your ambition for Christ, it's no longer legitimate. That's what Paul is saying. Look at the fourth question. Will becoming involved in this activity or relationship become a stumbling block for other runners in their race for Christ? 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24 says, All things are lawful, but not all things edify, not all things build up others. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. So as I face decisions in life, I need to ask myself, I need to have the maturity to say, How is this decision going to influence the lives of others that are watching me? And will this serve to draw them closer to Jesus and to reveal Christ to them? Or is this going to 
become a reproach on the name of Christ or, or cast a shadow on my testimony and my opportunity to display him. And then the fifth question, will becoming involved in this activity or relationship put Christ on display? Will it put Christ on display for others to see him as I run my way race for Christ? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to manifest his beauty and his value to others. Bottom line, here it is. You'll never win the Christian race. Now listen to me. I've been in the ministry now for over 40 years. And what I'm about to tell you, I guarantee you, is rock solid truth. You will never, ever, ever win the Christian race until you go beyond asking, is this or that sinful? Thinking, if it's not sinful, then you're just free to do as you please. You must start asking, will this help me win the race? Will this help me become more like Jesus Christ? Will this help me bring other people to Jesus? Will this help me maintain my faith in God? That's how you run to win. Well, look now at the third point. The third point. Run with endurance the course God mapped out. Run with endurance the course God mapped out. Look at Hebrews 12, that uh, latter phrase in uh, uh, verse 1, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. As we mentioned last week, this is the central focal point of this passage. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at the next key in your notes. The next key in your notes. Faith does not make the race easy. Just think about that a moment. Faith does not make the race easy, but it gives endurance, which is the determination to finish the race even when you feel like slowing down or giving up. So faith does not make the race easy. We need to have realistic expectations here as believers. It doesn't make the race easy, but faith gives endurance, which is the determination to finish the race even when you feel like slowing down or giving up. Endurance is continuing to run despite handicaps, the condition of the track, or the storms in life. You know, the word translated endurance is hupopone in the Greek text. Uh, William Barclay, the uh, great, uh, great Greek scholar and Bible uh, teacher, defined the word this way. He said the word is hupomone, which does not mean the patience which sits down and accepts things, but the patience which masters them. It is not some romantic thing which lends us wings to fly over the difficulties in the hard places. It is a determination, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. Obstacles do not dawn it, and discouragements do not take its hope away. It is the steadfast endurance which carries on until in the end it gets there. Where? Cross the finish line. See, the Christian race, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And marathons are grueling and they're painful. The race begins with your conversion to Christ. 
And it ends at death when you cross the finish line to be embraced by Christ. The race is run here on planet earth, which provides innumerable temptations, adversities, and challenges that will test your endurance as you run. And this is the reason for the admonition at the end of verse 3, not to grow weary, not to lose heart. And beloved, there is only one way to make it across the finish line. I wish there was an easier way, but here it is. Despite whatever adversities you encounter in the race, you must continue to go forward one step at a time. There's no other way. It's not really complicated. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's don't stop. Just continue to go forward. Continue to plod on in your faith one step at a time. So without endurance, it's obvious. Without endurance, we will grow weary. We will lose heart. We will give up. And thus the admonition, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Would you take your Bibles? I'd like to just uh, look at a, an important cross-reference. Just right over to the next book of James. Uh, James chapter 1, uh, several very familiar verses. I just want to make one primary point, uh, verses 2, 3, and 4. And look at these verses in the context of running the race. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. Okay, here I am, I'm running. And James says, Andy, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. So Andy, as you run your race, you're going to be confronted with temptation. You're going to be confronted with hardship. You're going to be confronted with adversity. You're going to be confronted with great challenges and obstacles that... Will, could, could possibly slow you down, that could possibly even cause you to grow weary to the point where you'd want to give up. But Andy, when you encounter those things, count it joy. Now again, why would I consider it joy? Now I'm so glad he used the word consider it joy. That, that was a, an accountant's term. And it, and it means you, 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 you look at the situation and, and you, you calculate it uh, from, from biblical reasoning, and you understand that although I may not feel that great, in the end, this is going to be good for me. And so why would I consider it joy? He says, look at verse 3, knowing, here's why I consider it joy. I may not be feeling real joyful, I might be struggling, but he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be what? perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, so that you can get across the finish line, a mature believer, like Jesus, putting him on display for others, and maintaining your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the simple thing I want you to see is this, and, and I think if you understand this, it really does make a difference in running the race. The thing that James is basically saying is, as you run your race, as you encounter hardship and difficulty, don't view those things as obstacles, but view them as stepping stones to get you closer to God's objective. I love the way the Phillips translation puts it. It says, don't view these trials as intruders, but welcome them as friends. So God, in other words, again, let's go back. What's the aim? Becoming like Jesus bringing others to Christ, and maintaining faith. So what God is saying is, 
when these difficulties come, they're not obstacles. They're the stepping stones that I've provided for you to accomplish my purposes. I'm allowing this adversity in your life to teach you greater reliance on me, to build your faith. I'm going to use this adversity to draw you closer to Jesus as you're forced to depend upon him in your desperation. And as you become close to him, you're going to become more like him. And as you become more like him, this adversity will provide you a platform to make Jesus known to others. That's what he's saying. So when he, he says, when you hit these difficulties, realize God is in control. He has a design behind every hardship, every difficulty, every adversity. And his intent is to use it not to destroy you, not to put you on the ground in the race, but to build you up and to allow you to accomplish his purposes in your life. Now, you'll see there in your notes an example of endurance. I want, to see, I want you to see this amazing example of endurance in the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and, and let's read these verses together. They're all in 2 Corinthians. I made it easy for you. So go to the book of 2 Corinthians. Go to the very uh, first chapter. And let's just read through these. Uh, I'll make very little, if any, comment. Doesn't need it. I just want you to see what this man endured in his, as he ran his race for Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened, don't miss these words, excessively, beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Go over to chapter 4. Look at verses 8 through 11. He says, we are afflicted in every way. That word afflicted is thalipsis. You know what the best English word we have for this? Stress. Paul says, life is full of stress. The race is stressful. It's not easy. So he says, we're afflicted, stressed out in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed. We often get confused, don't understand why God allowed this, what's happening, but not despairing. Yes, we're persecuted. We, we have, as we run this race, we have people shooting arrows at us. We have opposition trying to stop us. But he says, we're not forsaken. We're struck down. We, we often stumble. We often fall, but we're, but we're not destroyed. God's there to pick us up, to keep us going. He says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also be, be, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Look at chapter 6. Look at chapter 6. Look at verses 3 through 10 giving no cause for offense in anything, in order that the ministry may not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God. Notice, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. 
pure, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of the truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarding as deceivers and yet true, unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Look at chapter 7, verse 5, little verse. But it says a lot, for even when we came into Macedonia, notice he says our flesh had no rest. He's talking about anxiety. He's talking about depression. But we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without fears within. Paul says that's part of the race. Look at chapter 11. Gets you tired, doesn't it? Just reading this. Realizing this man had to run with endurance his race, encountering all these things. 11.23, are they servants of Christ? He's talking about false teachers. I speak as if insane. I'm more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments. He says, I've been beaten times without number. I, I can't even add them up anymore, often in danger. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. You know what that is? That's the scourging that Jesus received, considered the second death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've spent in the deep, in the water. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, uh, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my becoming weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? And we could go on, we won't, but you could go into chapter 12 and he talks there about what? His thorn in the flesh. This physical adversity that, that he had, that he entreated God three times, I beg you, heal me. And God said, no, Paul, my grace is going to be sufficient. And I'm going to perfect my strength in your weakness to demonstrate my glory to others. Now, folks, I, I just have one question. Where did Paul find the endurance to run the race? How is it? That Paul can endure such things and not grow weary to the point of giving up. To not lose heart to the point of such despair where he just collapsed under the pressure. Well, you know, I think the real key is in one of his prayers. And you don't have to turn there, but just jot down Ephesians 3 in your notes, verses 14 through 21. And where the believer finds the endurance is within. Now, I'm not talking about within in the sense of you looking to your strength and your ability, but looking within to the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
And, and as, I, and as I share this prayer of Paul with you, notice, it's very important to notice the progression of the prayer. He first says, prays that God would grant us, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Paul knew that's where we need the strength, in the heart, in the mind, in the inner man. And of course, if we're going to know that strength, we need to be careful to what? Lay aside the sin and the encumbrances. Where does God inner being? In the innermost parts. And, and the reason so many Christians never know any degree of victory in their lives, they never get serious about cleaning up the inner man. They think if I can keep the external conduct sort of corralled, at least in the eyes of others, you know, I can let my mind run rampant. No, that's not the way to victory. So Paul is saying the first place where you're going to find that strength to run is in the inner man through the power of the Holy Spirit as you lay your life, as you lay your mind and your affections and your heart bare to God in total and absolute transparency with your one goal being that He would refine your mind and your affections and your will. So refine your mind so that you would give Him your undivided attention. So He would refine your affections so you would give Him your undying love. And that he would so perfect your will that you would give him your uncompromising allegiance. And the reason he says that that's where you have to begin is the next. He says, in order that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. The reason I want to know the power of the Holy Spirit working on my inner man is so that my heart will provide Christ a home where he can dwell comfortably. See, if you're a believer, yes, Jesus is in you. The question is, is he comfortable living with you, in you? Is he comfortable with your thought life, with your attitudes, where you go, what you say, what you do, your activities, your involvements? I mean, are you just doing your own thing, or do you bring that all under the lordship of Jesus Christ, seeking his will, seeking his mind, seeking his heart? So Paul says the real key to endurance, real key to running the race is first knowing that strengthening of power that only the Holy Spirit can give in the inner man as I surrender my inner man to Him so that Christ can dwell in my heart comfortably. And then he goes on in the prayer, being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ to experience the length, depth, breadth, and height of the love of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying you won't purity in the inner man so that Christ can dwell in your heart by faith and the reason Christ wants to comfortably dwell in you is to express his love for you and it's his love that's going to keep you going because what inevitably happens in the race when you struggle with adversity you begin to doubt his love don't you you begin to question his love but he says as you know that renewal in the inner man as, as you provide a heart where Christ can dwell comfortably, He will give you His love. He will secure you in that love. You will know that, yes, He is in control. He is a sovereign God. And, yes, He has given me the promise. He's not going to let anything touch my life. He's not going to let me encounter any adversity, any hardship, any difficulty as I run my race unless He knows it's ultimately for my good to provide me the opportunity to get closer to Him. 
to have an opportunity to show Christ to others and to learn a deeper reliance on Him. And then as he goes on in the prayer, he says that I might be filled with all the fullness of God. He says, this is my desire. Lord, anything that's in me that's not like Jesus, clean it out and fill me with Jesus that I might fill my world with Jesus. That I might fill my marriage with Jesus, my family with Jesus, my church with Jesus, my neighborhood, my workplace with Jesus. Wherever you take me, I would take Jesus with me and put him on display for others. And then, folks, how does he end that prayer? Now unto him. Now unto God. Who is able? You're not able, but God is able to do what? To do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything that you could ever ask, think, imagine, or even begin to pray for. As he gives you endurance to run the race. Look at the fourth point as I close. And I'll need to be brief. Rely on the supreme example and enabler. And of course, you know who the supreme example and enabler is. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Notice the importance of maintaining our focus on Jesus as we run the race. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And that word fixing literally means you turn away from all other things and you get fixated on Jesus and you keep your eyes on Him through the duration of the race. He says, that's your only hope. He's your forerunner. He's your example. He made it across the finish line. And if you keep your eyes on him, you keep relying, trusting on him, he'll get you there. He'll get you across that finish line. And then consider him. Again, this this double whammy of the importance you have to maintain that focus on Jesus. You can't get lost in your circumstances or the obstacles or hindrances, but you keep your eyes on Jesus. Now look at the last key to running the race in your notes. What enabled Jesus to run his race with endurance and cross the finish line a winner? Because what enabled him to run his race will enable us to run with endurance and cross the finish line a winner. So the same thing that enabled him to run with endurance is going to enable us. And I think we see three things that provided the energy and the motivation for Jesus to run with endurance. And first was the anticipated joy of reunion in heaven with his Father. The anticipated joy of reunion in heaven with his Father. For you and I, it's the anticipated what? Seeing Jesus face to face. Knowing that Jesus is there at the finish line. That's why I keep my eyes fixed on him. He's there at the finish line. He's cheering me on. Come on, Andy. Come on. Keep going. I'm I'm there with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the grace. I'll give you the strength. Nothing that you're encountering is, is out of my control. It's not by my design. For your good. Keep coming. Keep going. Just one step at a time. Because to win is just what? To get across the finish line, maintaining your faith in Jesus. And so 
he anticipated that reunion with his father. We anticipate seeing him face to face and, and being there in heaven with the entire Godhead. And then the second thing, the anticipated joy of reward, to be crowned with glory. It says he sat down at the right hand of his father. And it was knowing that if he was obedient to his father, if he endured to the very end and, and maintained his faithful obedience, that there would be a great reward for them, him. And there, and there will be for us. That's what should motivate us. There are medals that will be awarded for those who cross the finish line. Winners for Jesus. We will receive honor. We receive glory that we will be able to give back to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, there's the third thing, the anticipated joy of redeeming many others to glory. In other words, when he talks about the joy that was set, the joy that was before, he endured the cross, despising the same for the joy that was set before him. It wasn't just the reunion with the Father, but that he would bring many other sons to glory, many other daughters to glory. And so we have that same anticipated joy that God can use my life, my race to influence others so that others are brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. So a magnificent passage. The heart of the passage, we're to run with endurance. But if we're going to win that race, we have to receive encouragement from the past winners. If they did it, we can do it because we got the same God they have. We have to lay aside every encumbrance that would slow us down, every sin that would entangle our feet and we must fix our eyes on Jesus not taking our eyes off of him realizing that at the end of the finish line we'll be embraced by him to see him face to face to become like him to receive our eternal reward and then to have that opportunity to see those that we influenced for Christ Father thank you for this uh, marvelous truth today and uh, Father a reality for every believer in this sanctuary today is, is we're running. Uh, the only question is, are we running poorly or are we running well? But then we, we also thank you, Father, that there always can be a new beginning with you. Again, it's not so much how we start, it's how we finish. So there may be an individual here that's been in terrible defeat, maybe entangled by sin or just under the weight of some great encumbrance that has dampened their enthusiasm for God. So thank you. It's never too late. We can, by your grace, get untangled from that sin. We can remove those weights. We can get our eyes back on you, and we can get back in the race. So thank you we have that kind of a God who always provides us that opportunity through your mercy and through your grace. So speak to our hearts that we will become engaged in your grace uh, to know the power, the endurance to run and run in a fashion that would please you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.